I got to hand it to Rand Paul. Senator Paul just taking everyone by storm here. Take a look. The title of this bill should say Ukraine first, America last, because that's what this is really about. Now, bills in the legislature, bills that come before the Senate, don't have pictures or covers on them like a book would have or a magazine. I'm going to play you some more from because this is just epic. I mean, that was like the takedown of all takedowns. Meanwhile, they did manage somehow in the Senate to approve $95 billion for Ukraine. And the president, just moments ago, this is breaking everyone, urging, urging Congress to get this through, to get this through, because we just have to bankroll Ukraine. We're going to talk about whether or not we really need to do that and what the motivation really and truly is behind all this coming up. But just a little preview on a few other stories. Tony Bobolinsky, <laughs> Bobolinsky, I never say his name right, but oh my gosh, so he's, he's like the star witness against Hunter Biden. And his testimony is out. And I am going to read you part of it because you're not going to believe it. Well, actually, I think you will. I think you will. I think we all know how the world works. But let me just say this is not good for Hunter Biden and certainly not good for Joe Biden, who could probably use a little bit of good news these days. I don't know how he's going to make it through November of 2024. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about Nikki Haley, for goodness sakes. I mean, we're talking final days, final, 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 final days for Nikki Haley. And then there's this inflation number. Wow. Did I tell you or did I tell you? 3.1%, ladies and gentlemen, consumer prices. When you feel like things are going up, you know what? You're not wrong. They are still going up. This came in hot, 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 way hotter than expected. I want to give a shout out to our wonderful friends over at LegacyPMInvestments.com. First sponsor on this show. We love these guys. Charles Thorngren, a team member with so many of you. We often see him in the chats. Charles is the CEO of LegacyPMInvestments.com. Again, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. We're going to talk a lot about inflation today because I have a lot to say on this issue. But before we do, just a shout out to the wonderful guys over there. If you're looking to diversify your portfolio, if you're worried, for example, about inflation and what it's going to mean for your spending power in the future, one way of diversifying is to look at investing in gold. And these are the guys that I trust to do that. I encourage you to give them a call to learn more information, to go to their website and to call them. They really are a very good, not like pushy, pushy, you know, because I don't, I don't like pushy. I don't do pushy. 1-866-589-0560 is their number. Oh my goodness. Do we have some things to discuss? Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. Um, wow. She is about to be humiliated on her home turf. I'm telling you, these are the final moments, the final days for the Nikki Haley campaign. There's no way that she can continue going after what we have just seen. I'm surprised she's even willing to go through this humiliation in South Carolina, frankly, ladies and gentlemen, because according to a brand new poll out by CBS YouGov, uh-huh, it's pretty bad. 65% Donald Trump. He's up 35 points there compared to Nikki Haley, who's coming away with 30 points. Oh, and we got more. We got more because you know what? When you look inside the poll, you see even more bad stuff for Nikki Haley. Take a look here. 
She's from South Carolina. So does that make you more or less willing to vote for her? Well, 20% say they're more likely to vote for her. Only 20%, 5% say less likely. 75%, no difference at all. So in other words, people aren't really wedded to that. Okay, you're a hometown girl. I'm going to vote for you. Therefore, nope, because they're voting for Trump. And then when you look at the issues that matter to them most, they're all international, national issues, including, by the way, This little number, looking back on their records, Trump versus Haley. You know, they have experience with her in South Carolina. Do you approve of her as governor? Only 60% approve of her. 82% approve of Donald Trump as president. So there you go. Like, I don't know what more you need, Nikki. I realize there are a lot of important people kind of propping you up there, trying to keep you in business, shall we say. I mean, I don't even think the woman can leave if she wanted to leave. And by the way, she's saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Have you heard our, I mean, right after Nevada, she's using words that, let's just say, we're not supposed to use in polite company, right? Take a listen. Does that situation in Nevada hurt a little bit? No, I mean, Nevada, it's such a scam. They were supposed to have a primary. Trump rigged it so that the GOP chairman, who's been indicted, would go and create a caucus. We knew months ago that we weren't going to spend a day or a dollar in Nevada because it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't even count Nevada. That wasn't anything we were looking at. We knew that. Is that what she's going to tell us about South Carolina? <laughs> Let's keep in mind, it was already historic. I mean, the woman lost to anyone else. <laughs> Remember that? None of these candidates, she lost to anybody else in the universe. None of these candidates, 62.9% versus Nikki Haley at 30, basically we'll be generous, call it 31% there in Nevada. So that was historic. That was humiliating. And now she's clearly a glutton for punishment. Because she's moving on. I mean, she's told us over and over again. She's in this. She's in this to win it. She's in it to the end. Really? I mean, you must really be good with your money, Nikki, because either that or have some very, very generous benefactors. Because I'm just saying, there's not much more momentum you're going to have after this one. It is going to be an epic fail. We will remember this one in the history books. I'm not entirely sure why she's still, still clinging Because let's face it, she's got to go on to do something after, right? I mean, this is her career. She's in politics. And so what, how does she pivot? How does she turn? Is she going to suddenly say, oh, I love Donald Trump after knocking him every chance she can? I mean, there was, Drew, I don't know if we have this sound, but she was just out there knocking him on Ukraine. Furious. Let's see if Drew has it. I know he's going to play it for you because this is unbelievable. We've had to listen to Schumer. We've had to listen to Romney. I've got to listen to Nikki Haley, for goodness sakes. Nikki Haley telling us how bad things are on Ukraine. It's important for Joe Biden and Congress to tell the American people why they should care, to give them the other side. And you don't hear that. The other side is that NATO has been a 75 year success story. We have not had war in the region. And if you look, Russia has never invaded a NATO country. They've invaded Georgia. They've invaded Ukraine. They've invaded Moldova. So we want to make sure that, yes, do we want NATO to pay more? Of course we do. But the last thing we're going to do is side with a thug. Keep in mind, Putin 
kills his opponents. Keep in mind that he has arrested Evan Gersovich, who's been sitting in jail just for doing journalism. Keep in mind that this is a man who has wanted to destroy America and defeat America for years. I dealt with Russia every single day. It is a mistake for Trump to side with Putin over our allies. We needed a lot of friends after 9-11. We better remember that. But it takes a friend to, to get a friend. Ambassador. Wow. Okay, so just to keep a few things in mind, you know, Russia was like our best friend right after 9-11. In fact, the very first phone call from any international world leader that Bush got was from Vladimir Putin. We actually had very good relations in the scheme of things right after 9-11, Nikki Haley. And I would only point out that she doesn't have the entire picture. There is a narrative that is being force-fed to the American public right now that is not entirely accurate. It is not. It's very biased. It's very bad Russia, pro-U.S., but it doesn't take into account what actually happened when the Soviet Union fell in 1989, November 1989, the wall comes down. And then what happened? There was kind of a vacuum, like nobody knew what to do until they came up with the Dick Cheney. Ha ha. Funny, huh? How this all goes full circle. Dick Cheney, then defense secretary in 1992, he came through in like March of 92 with his plan. He had a grand plan, you see, to confront what he believed would be the threat of the former USSR. So he had to contain, he had to contain the USSR by growing NATO. So it went from what, 17 countries to 30 today. I'm just saying, like if you're Russia, you don't think that that's going to be a threat? And we've talked about this. George Kennan, who was the political realist, political theory thought realist, was also a guy who had been in the State Department from 1928. His whole career, big part of it was during the Cold War when he was the U.S. ambassador to Russia, USSR, Soviet Union. So he kept saying and he kept warning, hey, this is going to be a problem because Russia's not going to like it when you keep growing NATO. And why are you growing NATO? Why are you growing NATO? I have a theory. The powers that be may not like it, <clears throat> but I have a theory. It has something to do with some stock charts. Da da da. Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin versus the S&P. Let me tell you, shareholders, they've been doing very well since the maiden revolution in Ukraine. I mean, these stocks were kind of left for nothing. And then all of a sudden, they outperformed the S&P. I'll save that for you for a little bit later. But Nikki Haley, despite her constant professing to, to know everything and therefore know all about Ukraine and all about Russia, I'm just saying I don't think the woman is a student of history, and she certainly hasn't gone back, like yours truly, and looked at her primary sources. They keep trying to tell you over and over again, that, hey, you know what? The U.S. never, ever, ever promised Russia or led Russia to believe that we were not going to expand NATO. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, but why the heck would Gorbachev have ever done the deal if you thought you were just going to try and expand into the USS's, USSR's former Soviet Union's territory? I mean, it wouldn't make any sense, right? 
So, okay, maybe you didn't have something in writing, but if we go back and we look at the original people behind the deal, including Kennan, who's like the granddaddy of Russian-American relations, I mean, this guy understood it better than any, then what you find is that actually what Putin was recently telling us was kind of true. So Nikki Haley, I'm sorry, sayonara, arrivederci, uh, it, it's over, okay? Adios, it's over. You can take all the humiliation, I guess, you want. <laughs> cracks me up. Politicians, they get really thick skins, right? She's got really thick skin because she's going to have to brace herself on her home territory for a pretty humiliating defeat. But hey, you know, she's got, she's got the, uh, the people that, that want us to continue fighting these disastrous events all over the world behind her. So we'll see whether she makes it another day. I don't think so. I think this is the end, and I think we're watching it here, ladies and gentlemen, in real time. I have more on Russia coming up. I have more that we got to get to with Tony Boblinski. But before I do, inflation. I mean, I, I, I'll never steer you wrong. 3.1%. I told you it was going to be hot. This is hot, 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 hot. I mean, when you look at inflation, and we can look at it, you know, stripping it out, as well for, uh, you know, the, the core CPI, as they like to call it, because core, it excludes all food and energy. I mean, just things that you use. I don't know why we necessarily exclude it. But core and overall, they're both showing a very, very bad picture. Now, people look at that graph. If you're watching the show in video form, we're showing a graphic here. This comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. And you see that inflation, hey, it's come down from where it was earlier when it neared 10%. And this is what Joe Biden keeps touting, but it's no good because you know what? You got to think of this as cumulative. If you're up 2% year over year, and we're actually up a lot more than that, but if you're up 2% year over year, and then the next month you're up another 2% year over year, and then you're up 3% year over year, even if you go down to just being up 1.5%, you're, you're, you're still, you see, like climbing the steps higher. You're going higher and higher and higher on inflation. And so this is a humongous problem. And I've been telling you and telling you and telling you and telling you that there's no way the Fed was going to easily get out of this one. I mean, I, I hope they can, but I think even they are recognizing they printed too much money for way too long. And now we're in a situation, not only were they printing, but you had all these lawmakers spending like drunken sailors are continuing to do it today. You know, the $95 billion, not their money, right, that they're going to give out of your money, my money, to fund Ukraine. They just keep going. At some point, this $34 trillion and counting, it's going to come back to haunt us in a really massive, really significant, very big way. Jay Powell gets it. Here he is on 60 Minutes just the other day. i got to play this sound again for you. Long run. The U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. The U.S. federal government's on an unsustainable fiscal path. Yeah, a totally unsustainable fiscal path. You got that one right, buddy. Totally right. Like, look, it's why, you know, if you're a small business owner, and I know many of you are, I'm now a small business owner. Like, I I get this stuff, and I know how hard it is for small business owners. You got to have people in place in Washington that are looking out for you, that are looking out for the policies that are going to protect small business owners. You want lower taxes, less regulation, the freedom to grow, the freedom to prosper. And this is why, you know, I love my friends. You met Alfredo. He came on the the show maybe about six months ago. Alfredo Ortiz, he runs something 
called the Job Creators Network. And this is just a phenomenal network. I actually encourage you to look at it, to join it. You can join JCN, even if you're not a small business owner, okay? Well, we'll, we'll still include you. Join JCN.com because this is an organization that cares so much about making sure we have the right policies in place and we have the right people in Washington looking out for you in all corners of the country. Doesn't matter if you're living in Northern New Hampshire or Southern California or in the middle of Oklahoma, these guys are out there every single day breaking their backs to try and make sure that we get the right policies. And this is important, guys. I tell you all the time, the policy stuff, it matters. We need the right policies in place to protect our economy and to protect our future. So that's what they're doing. A little shout out to them as we talk about inflation. Join JCN. Dot com. That's where you need to go. Join JCN, Job Creators Network. It's right there on the screen. The other thing that I would tell you about as far as inflation goes is that the, the elites of the world, they don't seem to get it. They just don't. They tell us over and over and over again on shows like Morning Joe and other <clears throat> state media. I, I don't even think I can call them mainstream media organizations anymore. Like these state media places, they're like, oh, but, you know, there is no inflation and everything's fine. I mean, how many times do we have to have the ladies on The View say things are great? He's done a wonderful job at the economy. No, he hasn't done a wonderful job on the economy. Bill Maher, who often I like, but also lives in his la-la land where he's not, you know, out shopping for normal stuff like a normal person. He started talking about inflation the other day on his program, and he got totally, totally checked by his guest. Like, she just destroys him because he has no clue what's really going on in the world. Take a look at this. But isn't it amazing to you, like it was in the paper today about this country came out of the pandemic way better. We just, we won the pandemic economically. I mean, America. God, I don't feel that way. Explain it to me. I feel like inflation's um, insane. Numbers. Inflation is not insane. Bill, go buy a car. There's numbers. I understand. Things, a but, house but, but it has, has tripled here. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I I get that people buy some f- eggs. Explain There's feelings, and then there's the numbers. Okay, what are the numbers? The, the num- well, the numbers have come down a lot in the last six months. Okay. Uh, it, of course, they were. It was inevitable when we gave out $6 trillion so that everybody could hide under the bed from the forever flu. That was never going to end well. It was taken by the richest people ever and didn't and it was, get where and it, it needed and it was, to go. A lot of it was stolen. It was, it was, we agree on that, too. It was like, it, was there some response needed? Of course. You don't want the hospitals overrun. But it was a, just a massive overreaction. And that did cause some of the inflation. Okay. And he wants us to believe that it's coming down. You know, it did go way, way up under Joe Biden, and then it came down, but it's still higher, Bill. And even if that's not enough for you, let me let me share with you this little number. This is my favorite chart. Those of you that, that are part of the Trish Regan team, you know this chart, the Reganites out there. We thank Yahoo Finance for this because I was cranking out the numbers myself, <laughs> trying to put them into a spreadsheet. And, and finally, I just thought, well, okay, well, this is easier. Biden versus Trump on income. Take a look at Donald Trump. Take a look at Joe Biden. This is income adjusted for inflation. You get it? You can't look 
at any of these numbers unless you look at income adjusted for inflation. So don't sit there and tell me, oh, you know, inflation's kind of coming down and people are making more money and look at this, that, and the other. No, no. I want to know income adjusted for inflation. And this tells you everything you need to know. So Bill Maher, maybe you don't feel it, but everyday Americans, they feel it. And they're noticing it. Your guest, for goodness sakes, is like, for goodness sakes, go buy some freaking eggs and find out when you buy those eggs just how bad it is. Of course, you know, the powers that be, the elites of the world, they would just say, don't buy the eggs. The Wall Street Journal out with a headline in February of last year, to save money, maybe you should skip breakfast. (laughs) I mean, I know America struggles with its weight problems and this, that, and the other, but that's a little much, right? To save money, just skip breakfast because eggs are too darn expensive. It's kind of like John Kerry telling us we should just all eat bugs to save the environment, right? It's it's really gotten to be too much. And I got to say, we got to stand up to this. We got to collectively stand up to this. We need policies in place that actually help everyday Americans. I mean, think about how much more you're spending at the gas tank right now. Think about how much more you're spending to heat your house. Well, They think that you can just skip breakfast, therefore you don't have the pain of the higher cost eggs, and you can just go out and buy an EV, an electric vehicle. I mean, Jennifer Granholm was quite famous for saying that. Well, everybody can just go buy an EV, as though money just grows on trees. I mean, maybe, maybe it does grow on trees, considering that the Federal Reserve has printed so much. But realistically speaking, there are no policy solutions from this administration that will actually reduce your costs and make it so that you can enjoy a better livelihood without struggling with inflation thanks to higher gas prices or higher food prices. And so this is why I love what Americans for Prosperity are, what these guys are doing, because they care too. This is another group that I got to say is, is, is very dear to my heart because this is important stuff. The policy dork that I am, I care. And I'm sick of all these politicians trying to put in place policies that frankly help them get elected, but don't actually do anything for everyday people. So it's americansforprosperity.org. I I encourage you to go check them out. americansforprosperity.org, AFP. They're, They're fighting the good fight, I'm telling you guys, against people that want to jack up prices for for everyone, for everyday Americans. Turning to another big story, and that would be Tony Bablinski. Okay, Tony Bablinski, he's the guy, remember? He was the one that said, you know, you got to set aside money for the big guy. And the big guy was Joe Biden. Bablinski testified before Congress today, and boy, oh boy, there's some... uh, There's some doozies in there. Well, this is actually, you're looking at a graphic right now from the Oversight House Committee that talks about another big deal, which is uh, what Rob Walker is alleging. And that has to do with, gosh almighty, some $3 million that went from CEFC, that's the Chinese energy company, to Hunter Biden all around the same time that Joe Biden attended a CEFC meeting at the Four Seasons in Washington, D.C. They had the chairman, Yi Jingming, allegedly there, as well as other CEFC officials. CEFC was a 
natural gas company, traditional energy, by the way, it's okay for the Chinese, it's okay for the Romanians, it's okay for Ukraine, it's just not okay for us to have traditional energy. Think about that. Think about that for a second. So all this money is going back and forth. And we're still sitting here and saying, well, what, what role did Joe Biden have? This is pretty serious because if they can connect the dots here and say, okay, Hunter gets 3 million bucks after his dad attends a meeting, well, then you're going to have issues. So they just came out with the Rob Walker transcript that gets into this. And it's not good. It's not good. For Joe Biden. I mean, he's got enough problems, right? You get the age thing going on. And now you get this. And they've got the Tony Bublinski one as well. Here's one of the headlines. Joe Biden enabled family to sell access to dangerous adversaries, according to Tony Bublinski. It says that he was aware of the CEFC transaction. He enabled it, according to Bublinski and had a constitutional responsibility and obligation to the American people to shut it down before it began. This is because CEFC, he's testifying, has been identified as a known surrogate of the Chinese Communist Party by the U.S. government and prosecutors in the Southern District of New York as far back as 2016, possibly earlier. Oh, boy. So why is it then, just saying, that Hunter Biden would not actually... come forward and and register as a foreign agent. And we are dealing with the Chinese Communist Party. We know that this particular company was in existence because it carried the favor of the Chinese Communist Party. And this had been documented. So why would Hunter have been doing business with them, not registered as a foreign agent? Moreover, why on earth would Joe Biden be willing to do business with them, also not registering as a foreign agent. According to this testimony, Boblinski said, I personally met with Joe Biden in Los Angeles in May of 2017 multiple times to discuss the broad contours of our business dealings. This is all breaking right now, ladies and gentlemen. I think this is pretty damning stuff. He said, the only reason Joe Biden met with me privately during the Milken Institute Global Conference and seated me at his head table was because I was a business associate of the Biden family. Joe Biden's immediate family members were enriched to the tune of tens of millions of dollars from some of our most dangerous adversaries, including, he alleges here in his testimony, the Chinese Communist Party and players from Russia, Ukraine, Romania, Kazakhstan, and other foreign nations and entities. Wow. He says, it is my educated belief, dating back to Q clearance briefings I received in the Navy and continuing through recent discussions and experts that under U.S. corruption laws, political officeholders can be held as responsible as the immediate members who are receiving money directly. This makes common sense, and Americans understand this. He goes on. I mean, look, it does make sense. The Biden family, Joe's son, Hunter, and his brother, Jim, knowingly and aggressively defrauded me as the CEO he says, of Sinohawk Holdings and is a member of Onita Holdings LLC at the end of July 17. They put Joe Biden and the rest of the Biden family smack in the middle of a $9 billion transaction. Whoa, a $9 billion transaction between Russia and China involving Qatar, specifically the Qatar Investment Authority, and helped CEFC, that is the Chinese energy company, navigate through various issues before Patrick Ho, a Chinese executive was arrested for corruption 
in New York in November of 2017. Oh my gosh. I think we have a problem. I think we have a very big Hunter Biden problem. And I think that Joe being aware of it complicates things immensely. Joe Biden, it may be time to step down. I mean, this may not have anything to do with age at this point. I mean, look, I mean, selfishly, because I care so much about policy, as you just heard, I'd kind of like Joe Biden to be the one that's running, because I think that if you uh, put Michelle or somebody else in there, it's, it's unknown, it's unproven whether or not you actually get a Republican leader in the White House. I'm pretty sure, and I'm judging by all the polls right now, that Donald Trump will succeed in November of 2024, so long as he's running against Joe Biden. He'll also succeed if he runs against Kamala Harris, which is entirely possible because she's gunning for the job. Trust me. We talked about that yesterday. She's really out there wanting it right now. But this is really stunning stuff. So the level of corruption that's being alleged right here, being admitted to, I'm like, well, why would he do this, right? Why would Tony Boblinsky do this? Why would he say all this? Well, he may say all this because he doesn't have a choice, right? At some point, you do have to tell the truth. You can't just keep covering for yourself. And if you've got Comer running around saying, hey, 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 we got this, we got that, you might want to save yourself from jail time and say you come forward with all this. They'll try and paint him as somebody who's for sale, for hire, whatever. And they'll, they'll go through his background and say, you know, he's not a trustworthy witness, et cetera. But, you know, the guy was in the Navy and he was in business with the Biden family for quite some time. And I think that there's going to be H-E-double-L or should be H-E-double-L to pay on this one, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I, I still get back to this. How is it that everybody is allowed to drill for natural resources except for, except for us because we're too environmentally friendly? I mean, you get Hunter working on behalf of the Chinese, working on behalf of Ukraine to make sure that those companies get what they want. But what about, what about U.S.? Americans, right? This is the thing that keeps coming up over and over again. Breaking right now, we have gotten word that, sure enough, $95 billion has been A-OK'd by the U.S. Senate, with the bulk of that money going to none other than Ukraine, okay? So it'll remain to be seen what happens in the House but I was kind of surprised. There were some senators on that list that I was a little surprised went for this. Langford being one, um, Michelle, uh, Michelle, Marsha Blackburn, the senator from Tennessee, was not one. I want to point that out. Nor was J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is very concerned that this particular bill has in it a clause that would basically make it really difficult for Donald Trump to unwind anything should he become president. If he wants to say stop the funding to Ukraine it would be really difficult for him to do so. So he had been urging his colleagues as recently as yesterday afternoon to not sign this, but they did, they signed it. And so here we are, $95 billion that the Senate has earmarked, most of which would go to Ukraine. I want to hear Rand Paul on this very issue. He is furious, understandably absolutely positively furious let's take it away senator paul the title of this bill should say ukraine first america last because that's what this is really about now bills in the legislature bills that come before the senate don't have pictures or covers on them like a book would have or a magazine but if this bill had an image 
or a cover on the front of the bill, the image would be the migrant in New York who assaulted a police officer, was freed from jail on no bail, and gave the middle finger of both hands to America. That's what this bill is. It's the middle finger to America. This bill is the middle finger to every working man and woman in America, every struggling American family. This bill gives them the middle finger and says, we don't care about you. We care more about Ukraine than we care about our southern border. Wow. So uh, pretty, pretty strong commentary there from Rand Paul. Quite, quite a visual as well, all right? I, I can just think of the thumbnail the team's going to drop on this one, right? That, that is going to be a visual. Indeed, it is a middle finger to America, says Rand Paul, because somehow we can't spend the amount of money that we need to spend here in the United States to actually take care of business at home, but we, we find it somehow, some way to, to spend overseas. It's a little weird. It's a little weird, especially when Chuck Schumer and Mitt Romney are out there pushing this so darn hard. Let's start with Senator Schumer. I want you to hear it. Today, we make Vladimir Putin regret the day he questioned America's resolve. And we make clear to others, like China's President Xi, not to test our determination. And we send a clear bipartisan message of resolve to our allies in NATO. With the strong bipartisan support we have here in the Senate with this vote, I believe that if Speaker Johnson brought this bill to the House floor, it will pass with the same strong bipartisan support. I thank all of my colleagues, Democrat and Republican alike, who supported this bill. Thank you to Senators Murray and Collins, Murphy, Sinema, Langford. Thank you to Leader McConnell. And thank you to all the senators and staffs, including my own great staff, who worked through Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and even the Super Bowl to get this done. Wow. Finally. All right. So what do you guys think? I'm just curious because it's a live show. So weigh in on the commentary. Let me know. Should, should this have gone through or not have gone through? Mitt Romney says it's the most important thing they've ever done. Like he's been there forever. He's been in politics forever. I remember, I remember like interviewing him way back early in my career when he was the Massachusetts governor. Anyway, listen to Senator Romney, who's on his way out, lame duck, talk about how great this is. So important. Vote we will soon take to provide military weapons for Ukraine is the most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. Really? The most important ever? It's the most important vote. Wow. Like, I mean, hey, I guess that helps to explain why everybody's freaking out because Donald Trump dared to say this over the weekend. I didn't think it was actually that surprising, I'm going to tell you, because let's go to the sound first. This, this, this came out today, but we'll, and we'll talk about what he's saying now, but let's go to the sound of Donald Trump over the weekend in South Carolina. This is what has everybody freaked out. And again, I'm just going to point out, he said very similar rhetoric before, so it shouldn't have caught people so by surprise. In fact, I, I feel like I might have even heard this story before, but let's let, let Trump say it in, in his words and, and we can talk about the freak out. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a 
big countries stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. Yeah. All right. So he said this and people went nuts. I mean, absolutely positively nuts. And that's why this is suddenly the most important bill that you're ever going to sign off in your lifetime, according to Mitt Romney. Because Donald Trump is trying to indicate that, hey, you know what, NATO, like if you're not paying your bills, maybe we're not going to be there to help you out so much. I mean, is that so unrealistic to ask? Everybody was like, gosh, you know, we got to get NATO paying more. How do we get them paying more? Donald Trump's like, well, we're not going to defend them if they don't pay. So he came out with a tweet. Forgive me. He came out with a truth on Truth Social. I think that's how we phrase it. I'm over there, by the way, too, at Trish Regan. From this point forward, are you listening, U.S. Senate? No money in the form of foreign aid should be given to any country unless it is done as a loan. A loan, he said today, not just a giveaway. It can be loaned on extraordinarily good terms, like no interest and an unlimited life, very good terms, but it's a loan nevertheless. The deal, he writes, should be contingent that the U.S. is helping you as a nation. But if the country we are helping ever turns against us or strikes it rich sometime in the future, the loan will be paid off and the money returned to the United States. We should never give money anymore without the hope of a payback or without strings attached. The United States of America should be stupid no longer. Wow. Oh, talking some actual business sense to the politicians. Imagine that. Is that too much to ask for? Hey, you know what, Ukraine? If you suddenly come across a whole wealth of natural resources that we didn't anticipate you originally had, guess what? Ka-ching, ka-ching, you're going to pay us back for all the money that we have lent you. NATO, if you aren't paying your bills, well, then that's going to be kind of a problem. I mean, maybe we can lend you something here and there because it's helpful for us to have certain allies in the region, but you have to be respectful about being willing to pay that money back. I don't think that this is so outlandish. I think it's actually kind of sort of a common sense sort of thing to talk about. Meanwhile, Reuters came out with a report just moments ago that quoted a Trump official saying that, you know what, he's got a scaled plan. So you could have certain NATO members that get fewer or greater benefits from the U.S. military in a tiered system. Well, that's interesting, too. Again, he's thinking, like, this is an asset, okay? We have the U.S. military as an asset, and right now it's draining us because we're just around the world saving everybody from who knows what, and that's costing us. It's costing us a ton of money. So how do we actually think about that $34 and counting and pay our bills? Maybe we actually need to think about these military relationships we have globally and how we can best benefit ourselves while simultaneously benefiting our hegemonic power on the international scale. Innovative, interesting. I think it's a new chapter in this conversation, in this conversation that has been so one-sided. It's like Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine or the highway. Now, I'm a patriot. I want America to win. You get yourself involved in these things. You know, you should, I hope, come out ahead. But let's not forget what's really going on here. These are lives. These are human lives. 
that have been lost. And I think one day we'll look back at this and say, well, why? You think about George Kennan, who was the former ambassador to the Soviet Union, like during the height of the Cold War. And some of the things that he has said, you know, I, I, I warned you, I'm a wonk. I'm very dorky this way. I go back and I read all the primary sources from the time. And I've gone back and read a lot of his papers, including one in the New York Times from 1997. And he said something of the highest importance is at stake here. He was very worried in the fall of the Soviet Union that we were expanding NATO way too fast and in ways that would make Russia super reluctant and super scared, which indeed is exactly where we are today. And perhaps it is not too late to advance a view that I believe is not only mine alone, but is shared by a number of others with extensive and in most instances, more recent experiences in Russian matters. The view bluntly stated is that expanding NATO will be the most fateful error of American policy in the entire post-Cold War era. This is the guy who was the ambassador to the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War. There he is warning everybody in 1997 that you're going to have these problems. Such a decision may be expected to inflame the nationalistic, anti-Western, and militaristic tendencies in Russian opinion, to have an adverse effect on the development of Russian democracy, to restore the atmosphere of the Cold War to East-West relations, and to impel Russian foreign policy in directions decidedly not to our liking. Okay, there you go. This is exactly what has happened. You go from 17 NATO countries to 30. Why? Oh, could it have anything to do with as soon as the Cold War was over? These, these defense companies are sitting around, like, twiddling their thumbs. Well, gosh, what do we do now, right? Like, who, who are we going to fight? Who are we going to make all this equipment for to go on and fight? Just saying. It's an interesting thought because the guy who was trying to negotiate for actual peace, and I think earnestly meant it, was warning them not to do exactly what they did. And it goes back to Cheney, goes back to Clinton, and it goes back to everything we're, we're seeing right now. I mean, no wonder Liz Cheney hates Trump so much. Her father's entire legacy <laughs> is kind of on the line. You look at the stock charts of these defense companies, and it's amazing how much they have soared since Ukraine became an issue. If you go back to 2014, Maiden Revolution was in 2014, February. I remember I was a correspondent at CBS News. I covered it. So these Lockheed Martins of the world, they were doing nothing. Like they were, they were just being left for dead, these stocks. Nobody was investing in them because you didn't have enough conflict going on, right? Like we, you know, we, we just didn't. And then all of a sudden, Maiden Revolution happens, and they've been on a tear ever since. These stock prices have actually outperformed the S&P 500, which has a whole lot of tech companies in it. So that's saying something. I'm not trying to make accusations. I'm just trying to help you understand the other side of this. And that, you know, maybe there's some there there. When, When Vladimir Putin says, gee, we thought that you guys weren't gonna just encroach on our border like this. And we say, oh, that was never the deal. Let's go back and look at what actually happened at the time, instead of just taking whatever the the search results are on the internet, okay? And and then you can actually 
try and drill down and figure out what's really going on. And why is it this way? I mean, why is it? It's a good, good question. Why is it this way? I think Donald Trump's got a decent solution. That's if he can stay out of jail, if he can actually get to the Oval Office. I mean, they got four cases against him right now, all kind of bubbling up this week. The biggie that we're watching right now is going to be Fanny down in Atlanta, Georgia. Fanny Willis. Fanny, maybe finito. You know, I just, I couldn't resist. Had to say that. Finito. Because, um, well, she had allegedly some indiscretions of her own, and it came to light because the guy who was the Trump prosecutor working for her, she's, you know, the AG down there in Fulton County. Well, forgive me, the DA. So she, she, she's got him kind of lined up, right? And um, they, they had some kind of romantic whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like, I'm like, what? Lisa Page and Peter Strzok and then Fanny and her guy. Somehow, some way, like when you go after Trump, romance just blossoms. It's all that hatred of the Donald Trump man, who he is, and, and MAGA, and, and et cetera, that somehow gets their juices going. I don't know. But anyways, she allegedly had this indiscretion with this guy. And as he went and filed for divorce or his wife filed for divorce, he was brought forward and it came out that he was working for Fanny and that they may have spent money going out when really it should have been money that was being spent on the case, et cetera. We'll find out on Thursday. But what's sort of funny about this entire thing is that Donald Trump wants to find out too. And he's going down to the courtroom there in Atlanta. So this is the woman that made sure he got the mug shot, right? The mug shot, the shot heard around the world, that mug shot at Fulton County, Georgia. She's the one that insisted on it. She's also the one who somehow, basically before this indictment was even handed down, had it released to the press. She's blaming her assistant, but it all sounds really fishy if you ask me. I think she knew which way this one was going. Anyway, he's going down to Georgia for the hearing on the misconduct allegations against the prosecutors. It's actually pretty serious because Fannie Willis could wind up getting disbarred over this. And it begs the question, well, what then happens with the Georgia case? I mean, what happens with any of these cases? You look at the Supreme Court. I mean, this is insane that Colorado is trying to keep him off the ballot. I think this one's going to come back unanimous. Even, even, uh, even all the lefties on the court are like, okay, this is pushing it just a little bit too far. And so Donald Trump, ultimately, when push comes to shove, is going to look all the more tested for having been put through the ringer of our legal system all the way up to the Supreme Court, which thereby does what? Oh, it helps him with voters even more, including the independents in the middle. Every single poll we see, all except for one, the Quinnipiac, which I do tell you, you got to, you know, take it to heart and be thoughtful about how he closes that bridge. I don't like seeing any, listen, it's a policy that matters. So I don't like seeing any poll that suggests that this could be troublesome. This poll right now that we're looking at on the screen is actually where we are this week. And well, let's just say, you know, it's been a bad one for Joe Biden because he's the blue line. Donald Trump is the red line. And the blue line has big giant spread between it and the red line. And I think that spread's going to go more, 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 more. As much as these legal things keep coming forward, he keeps emerging stronger. You're probably going to have a unanimous Supreme Court saying, Colorado, you are way out over your skis. And people are going to like him even more.
And so it makes it more likely that Ukraine's not going to get that $95 billion forever. It makes it more likely that we're going to have a sealed border. It makes it more likely that maybe inflation, this is just a maybe, because anything could happen. And he's not responsible for the Federal Reserve, although he can't stand Jay Powell. I know that he told me. He told my former colleague, Maria Bartiromo, that just recently. He just can't stand the guy. So I think that Jay Powell is probably at some point going to be out of a job. But inflation, hopefully, would become more manageable because you'd have policies in place that would say, oh, I don't know, allow us to drill here in the U.S. for our natural resources. So Fanny's finito, and it's going to be another feather in Donald Trump's cap. Meanwhile, the left is scrambling, and they're scrambling hard, everyone, because Joe is just too old. I mean, 81 years old. I'm sorry. We just found out that Joe Biden, when he came before the cameras the other day, remember after it was reported that the special counsel, her, (laughs) found that Joe Biden was too darn old to actually move forward with prosecuting, even though he was guilty? of taking those documents and keeping them in an unsecure location and he knew that they were there. You couldn't actually prosecute him because he's too old and the jury would find this feeble, weak man who couldn't remember anything and they'd never get a conviction. And so he said, well, you know, I'm not going to move forward with this. And that was really bad, like really, really, really bad. Now, maybe he's just being an honest lawyer The left is like, oh, it's political, it's political, because he was a Trump appointee. Been comparisons to Comey. Look, I don't know. I think the guy is just a lawyer saying, I'm never going to be able to prove this case. I'm never going to get this guy charged on anything because, well, he's too old and too weak and too feeble and doesn't remember anything. And he's going to present as a sympathetic character to the jury. And, well, he's going to present to the jury exactly as he presents to us. And we feel kind of bad for him. To which it's like, well, why the heck is he the president of the United States? And so Joe was mad. You know, and he's like 81 years old mad. He's also, and I'm not a doctor, so I want to be thoughtful about how I explain this, but I have known people that have had dementia that I've been very close to in my life, and I know what happens, so I've seen it before up close, and I feel very bad if that's the case, and I'm not saying it's a case. I am not in any way, but I do see symptoms of sort of his decline, whatever that may be. And part of that decline as you get older is you have very little patience and you want things your way. And so when this report came out and he saw it, oh man, he went out there and guns blazing. He was just furious. He's telling Peter Ducey off and this one off and Fox off and whoever off. Let's take a look at Joe Biden in that press conference. Or not. (laughs) We can go to Corrine Jean-Pierre first because Corrine Jean-Pierre wanted you to know this came out just just a couple hours ago Corinne Jean-Pierre wanted you to know ladies and gentlemen that it was all his idea <laughs> I guess she doesn't want to get blamed for that one that the president of the White House thought it was a good idea for him to come out last Thursday mm-hmm. just want to clear it up was it the president's idea to come out it was first? the president's idea yes he it wanted to idea. it was his idea and how forceful was he when he you know, came out and he, I mean, he said look, he wanted to do it that I'm, time? I mean, you saw the president out do this, uh, make a statement, take questions from all of you because he wanted to do it. Did anyone advise him against it? I, 
I'm not going to get into private conversations that the president has. The president is the president of the United States. If he says he wants to speak to directly to the American people, he's going to do that. And following up on something else. And we can't help him. In other words, not my fault. Not my fault. I mean, I'm the press person, but I didn't advise him to do that. That was all his brilliant idea. Do we have it? <laughs> Maybe not. Anyway, he and his brilliant ideas, he just started getting really nasty with reporters. He was angry with the Fox reporter, with some other reporters, and he was having at it. He's like, I am fine. I'm fine. The problem with coming out like that and saying you're fine, I mean, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It doesn't change the fact that her wrote in that report that he's so old and he's so weak and he doesn't remember anything, and people will just see him as that, as kind of a sympathetic old guy character. There you go. <laughs> anyway, I want to turn to some of the poll results. Thank you guys for being here. You know, this is a, a special opportunity where we have to, to get to know one another, to kind of join the thing. So many of you are on the Reganite team, and I do like to go and see some of your commentary because I think it's, it's, really, um, it's really just a neat new medium it's a very transparent medium. I think it's shaken up the world in ways that some people just never, ever anticipated or thought was possible. And, you know, one of the reasons it's shaken things up is because now information can get out. In the old days, you know, you had networks. I've worked for almost all of them. And those networks would have a lot of say over what went on the air and what didn't go on the air, how it was scripted, how it was presented, et cetera. And all of those networks had ins, shall we say, with government. And so it was very tightly scripted, tightly wound. There was a narrative that you were expected to adapt. And what's unfortunate is that the places where you really wanted free speech in journalism itself, you just didn't get it. You just didn't get it because you couldn't get it, right? And, and I think that those days, thank goodness, are really starting to end. And we're starting to get fair representation of information or if it's not fair, at least it's unique and you're hearing different viewpoints. In other words, when Tucker Carlson went and interviewed Putin, forgive me, one of you guys made this point the other day. I keep saying Putin and it's my darn New Hampshire accent coming out for sure because you ought to hear me say mitten. We have a snow day in the Northeast today and I'm like, kids, don't forget your mittens. <laughs> mitten. Anyway, it's mitten and it's Putin. And I will work on that because we are going to hear a lot of Putin's name in the foreseeable future. So you can say, I knew her when. I knew her when. She couldn't even pronounce this correctly. Um, anyway, so yes, that's uh, a kitten. Kitten's another one. So <laughs> it's, it's just one of my things. Anyway, David, you're right. You get immediate feedback, and I think it's really interesting. And I think it's, it's very dignified, and, and we're a great group here, and we can have these actual fair conversations which need to be had. And the fact that they're not having them in mainstream media is really disturbing. And so that people say, well, what's going on in the world right now? Why is there all this pushback? The pushback is coming because people are actually getting at the truth. And over and over and over again, it's been proven that the Biden administration has lied to us. I mean, think about what happened with the origination of coronavirus, which most of those three-letter agencies, aside from the CIA, which remains divided, most of them all say, yep, it came from Wuhan, China, from the lab in Wuhan, China. And you think about the 51X spooks, I mean, the former head of the CIA, the, the former deputy director of the CIA, Mike Morrell, 
working with Anthony Blinken behind the scenes to come up with that idea where they get everybody to sign off and say that Hunter Biden's laptop was not real and that was just Russian misinformation, disinformation. My gosh, no, it was real. So this is what I'm saying, people. Like, thank goodness we have these other pockets of opportunity where we can try and get it more information. And I'm telling you, we're actually going to do a big show on this on Friday because I've been doing a lot of heavy research. I was a student at Columbia University, took a lot of international affairs classes where actually I read a lot of George Kennan's writings. Again, Kennan being sort of the granddaddy of the um, Russia-U.S. relationship and had been the ambassador to Russia in the Cold War. So I'm like, wait a second, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that we had some kind of understanding that we weren't going to just go big, 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 big on NATO. And yet when you do a Google search, you find out that, oh, we, we uh, apparently that, that's just, you know, misinformation. And I'm like, wait, because, you know, I, I was a student and, and studied all this, and I'm pretty sure if I go back in time, I remember in 1998 reading this, that, and the other, and sure enough, I was right. Like, why ever doubt yourself? So that's not what you'll, you know, Harvard has a whole thing on why it's misinformation to say that we ever had a deal with Russia. And what else did I find? I mean, there's a whole Brookings Institute has a whole thing. Oh, it's misinformation. But no, it's not. Because 1997, George Kennan, a fateful error, was warning, ladies and gentlemen, about exactly the stuff I'm talking about. He said that the expansion of NATO would be a problem. We've gone from 17 countries to 30. And he's effectively, I, I mean, I'm, here's my translation because he's much nicer than I am. You'd have to be a moron with no understanding of Russian history to not get that they would be upset if you decided to keep expanding NATO. So I ask, why did we do it? Why did we do it? Mike O'Donnell say snow day chowder. No, I should have thought ahead because you know what? The grocery stores and everything, it's closed, Mike. I can't go and get my fish for my fish chowder. That's how you know I'm really a New Englander. It's not just clam chowder. It's fish chowder, okay? (laughs) Those are my roots coming out. Wonderful seacoast of New Hampshire. Anyway, uh, just 13 miles of coast, you know, in New Hampshire. We're very proud of that. 13 miles, and we get the mountains, too, and the lakes, you name it. Really great state, but the best part is the slogan, live free or die. And the other best part is 0% income tax and 0% sales tax. Somehow New Hampshire still manages to uh, to get it all done and and budget a ballot. And and balance a budget. You know what? We should all take lessons from them, I think. Anyway, good to see you guys. It's really wonderful. Uh, In Texas, you know, you want a Coke, which kind? We have Pepsi, Sprite, et cetera, LOL, writes uh, Leslie. Yes. And and if you go to the Midwest, it's a pop, right? And we say soda on the East Coast. Listen, go enjoy some chowder, David. David, thank you guys for being here. We're going to talk again tomorrow. This is big stuff, amazing stuff. Love having you here. Talk tomorrow.